Welcome to Victory Church of His Presence Sermon of the Week. Enjoy this new message from Roger Lee. Well, thank you. So I'm just going to move this a little bit and get comfortable. So um, you guys all got to get a book when you, moved, when you came in? <laughs> you know what that means. We're going to be here for a while together. No, I'm just um, I want to thank, uh, thank Aaron. I, I met Aaron a few years ago, and... Uh, he was uh, he's transitioning from being a pastor. If you guys don't know, if you know his story, down in Venice, Northport area, uh, and then he would he came and actually played. I said, "You got to sing more," because he has such a good voice. And he would play in our prayer room. He would work and then come and just by himself. I remember he has his guitar and he would cry out for revival. I mean, he had two or three people there maybe, and he would just pour his heart out and just a pure heart for revival for uh, the move of God, for loving people. I mean, Aaron and his wife, uh, and we saw them down in Venice a number of times, but it's a real jewel. And, um, and so, uh, so thank you, Aaron. And uh, so I want to, it feels like family when we come here. We know so many people. I have grandpa and grandma here. And uh, <laughs> all the gray hairs are looking, is that me? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but that's an inside joke, I mean. It's Miss Kathy and Grandpa, yeah, the Godlewskis, and so, uh, and just a number of people. We just so love you and appreciate you. I want to just uh, take a moment and uh, acknowledge my wife, who's here with, with uh, us tonight, Jennifer. And so she is actually going to be teaching Thursday night at Consecrate, and so uh, this whole theme has actually really been on her heart. This issue of oil, uh, Matthew 25. So if you can only come to one night, I would really encourage you to come. I believe the Lord is going to speak to us as a region and as a community. If you have only one night to come, it's for all ages, come Thursday night. If you can only come one night, come Thursday night. Uh, Dave Slyker, who was here uh, a couple months ago with IHOPU, he's going to be here Friday night. And then I know you have service Saturday night, so I wouldn't say anything about that. <laughs> I get in trouble with Pastor Brian. <laughs> so, um, but uh, that's Thursday night at 7. So she's going to really unpack. There's a call out of Matthew 25. So I don't want to steal what she's thinking. But there is this real call because the midnight hour is coming. It's fast coming and approaching upon our community, upon our society. And what we're contending for, even in Washington, D.C., these different laws are changing our society. And I believe that they, they will continue to increase. But I believe it's our conviction that God will give us a reprieve in our nation. And the only reprieve we have is revival, reformation, and awakening. Historically and geographically, that's the only thing that pushes back darkness and actually brings a window of godliness through the laws and through the hearts of men um, that will bring salvation. It's a window of mercy that God has. And I believe we're all contending for that. And I believe it's on God's uh, timetable, on his calendar for our nation. But I don't know how long, we don't know how long that will be. Um, so this is my point. But if you look in the history of Israel, right, we, there's judgment that's, that's been decreed over the nation with King Manasseh. It's the worst king that they had. And they had judgment. God decreed it over the nation. You couldn't pray it away. You couldn't fast it away. You couldn't worship it away. Judgment was decreed. However, there was a king that God rose up through a prophetic decree 
that brought mercy and a timetable of, of a salvation to the nation, his name was King Josiah. It was King Josiah. But if you look, a, and there was great revival that happened, reformation, even in the laws and in the, in the feasts and all of that that happened in the nation. But when King Josiah died, judgment came to that nation within a matter of years. It was uh, Babylon that came in and invaded them. And God fulfilled his decree of judgment over that nation. And so I'm not saying there's judgment or decree over our nation. What I'm saying is there's windows of opportunity. We want to take advantage of that because we don't know when things can turn. And the next election's coming up and just darkness increasing in our nation. And scripturally, it will increase. Um, it's a serious time. I mean, I believe that God is raising up at the same time at this conference. There's two calls going out at this conference, especially for young people. It's one is this call of intimacy or the oil that needs to be developed and cultivated. But two, I believe that God is enlisting leaders for the next 10, 20, 30 years in the body of Christ right now. That, but, to, but for leaders to be able to navigate and to steward the move of God that's coming, it takes maturity and it takes a cultivation and our lives need to be prepared. And so the call or the anointing like David Right? He was anointed by Samuel, but yet he still wasn't, didn't receive the kingship. And I believe that same scenario is happening for the end of the age, is that God is anointing and marking and preparing young lives especially. But that full release of authority, ministry, and, and, and uh, government, uh, spiritual government or kingdom government isn't fully released yet. But I believe that call is going out right now, and that mark, I mean, 12-year-olds, 15-year-olds, 25-year-olds, 35-year-olds, right? I mean, all of that ages, it's, it's up to God's plan. But I believe that call for leadership, leadership, so important, so vital in the body of Christ. And part of the problem we're in is because of the abdication of leadership or the lack of leadership in the body of Christ right now. But I don't want to go into all of that <laughs> because, I'm sorry, I just did. Thanks, Grandpa. Um, <laughs> That's why you need grandpas. Right? <laughs> they tell you the way it is. So, um, uh, and so, but I want to honor Pastor Brian, Pastor Bren, uh, just in this house. I want to thank them. I know they're in Washington, D.C. A number of our uh, people are is there with them. And so I just want to thank them and honor them uh, for being shepherds in this region here. And so, all right. Everyone has notes for tonight? So we're going to look at Revelation 1. Okay, and the point of this, this is actually I don't want to get into end time teaching and I don't want to get into the events that will happen because when we talk about the book of Revelation and Revelation, especially Revelation 1, but when you hear the word Revelation, the book of Revelation, all of a sudden these preconceived ideas pop up and all these different, either it's fear or, you know, big dragons or... <laughs> you know, the apocalypse or whatever, whatever comes into your mind, so I want to debunk some of that. And so I know that those things come up when we talk about the book of Revelation. But the reason I want to talk about it is because as you see here in verse 1, the book of Revelation is first and foremost about Jesus Christ. It says it's the revelation of his heart and of his mind. It's the revelation of his person. And we love the person of Jesus. He's the God-man, the Savior, the King that's come for us. 
and to have a full understanding and a full relationship with him, I believe he's beginning to invite the body of Christ to begin to dialogue with him and to engage with him as he's revealed in this book. This book is specially given for the last generation. And I will say unequivocally, we are in that last generation, however long that goes, right? But I believe that the uh, revelation of Jesus himself, there's specific aspects of his nature and of his character that he wants us to engage in. He wants us to know him intimately in this way because there's specific things that he's given that will help us to overcome and be victorious in that last generation, right? And so we need to begin to dialogue with him. And my whole goal tonight is actually to, to sell this book to you. To say, I want to stir something within you that you would say, I want to begin to read this book, this prophecy, this letter. Uh, whether you understand it or not, that's actually beside the point. Okay? It will actually feed your spirit. Okay? And it, because we're spiritual men and women, first and foremost, it will feed your spirit but what it will also is it will bring revelation of the person of Christ Jesus. That's what we need in this hour. We need revelation of the person of Jesus. And there is something special as we'll look in this book. That's my whole objective tonight. So if a few of you, I'm realistic, <laughs> so if a few of you will begin this journey in the book of Revelation, we win tonight. Okay? And then, I, and then we'll look at three aspects revealed. There's so many descriptions in the book of Revelation about Jesus. So we'll only go about five or six verses deep. We'll just touch it very briefly. Um, we, right now at the House of Prayer, we, we have a meeting Tuesday night. We've done seven sessions on verse five and six. Uh, we just did verse seven. So it's like there's so much about the glory and the beauty of Jesus in these th two, three verses. All right. So letter A, the book of Revelation is to know Jesus. And the book of Revelation, more than the events and the graphs and the timeline, it's really an unveiling of the heart and the mind of Jesus Christ. He is the man that's behind this plan. And, he, and if we don't know him, it doesn't matter what we know about the end time events or what our belief system is, it doesn't really matter. It won't help us and it won't save us. But if we know who he is, we'll be able to understand and we'll be able to have confidence to navigate the years that are coming ahead, maybe some decades still. Because God's plan is, it's not just for him to bring these judgments on the earth and darkness increasing. More than that, he wants a mature and a bride that will partner with him. He's inviting us into the greatest time of the, that the church will ever know. It's not the book of Acts. It's actually the last generation. I believe more will happen in this last generation that's been prophesied about, that's been written about. There will be the greatest harvest of souls into the kingdom, over a billion souls in a condensed period of time. Revival will come across the nations to bring in the fullness of the Gentiles, Romans 11, that will cause the Jews to be saved. That's Romans 11. That fullness of the Gentiles will come in in this generation in a short period of time. And he's inviting us to partner with him. He's not going to do it alone. He's calling for you and me 
to believe him, to have our lives prepared, and then to partner with him, there will be some out of this room that are going to the nations. I believe out of Sarasota, Bradenton, and Venice, God has marked this region to raise up apostolic leaders and missionaries, forerunners, to go forth and to shine that light and give understanding and to lead many to righteousness and to lead many to be prepared for those hours. And so the, the book of Revelation, it's all about Jesus. More than the events, more than the tribulation and this and that, whatever our doctrine is, it's before that or, or deeper than that or more important than that, we have to know the voice of our Jesus. We have to have confidence in his leadership, in his character, in his goodness. That's all the things we're singing about tonight. If that's lacking, all the charts won't do us any good. Because there is a pressure that's coming on the earth. There is a darkness that's, that's growing right now, and it's scriptural. Matthew, Matthew 13, 30 talks about the wheat and the tares growing together, where darkness and light is growing together. There is a pressure that's coming, and I believe there is a martyrdom that's coming on the earth as well. That's what the scripture says. And if, unless we know Jesus and the anointing of his fiery love upon us, it's a love that's stronger than death. That's what it will take. And here's the good news. He's committed to bring us to that point. I mean, it's later, but one of the primary themes of the book of Revelation, is, there's many themes in it. One of the primary themes is this, is that the Father and Jesus will prepare the church from the Laodicean church it is right now. And I'm talking about our, us as well, where we are right now. We're in spiritual dullness and half-hearted about who Jesus is. When you look at Revelation 19, when he comes back, there is a bride that's made herself ready, that's equally yoked with her. In a single generation, Jesus will, because of the anointing and the release of his spirit, he will prepare and change the hearts of men and women in the church where we will give our all that the first commandment will be first. It is a miracle that he will do through the church and the nations. That the that the church would, be, would fall in love with him. And he would be our first love. That in itself, it sounds great. It is so disruptive to our lives. When Jesus says, I want to be first in your life. And he says, I want to confront every other lover that you have. Right? It sounds grandiose and sounds wonderful. It's so disruptive. It will take so much humility. It will take so much, I mean... <laughs> it's just, it's so, it sounds great. We're like, yes, we want it until he starts revealing all the idolatry in our hearts. Yeah. Right? And when he does, it's a war of affections. Going, what do I really want? And he won't make us choose him. But here's what we'll do. He'll pour out his goodness. Like we're singing tonight about Psalm 23. Goodness and kindness, right? Mercy. It'll follow us all the days of our lives. He'll, he'll woo us by grace. And he'll overcome us with love. And I'll tell you, you'll, we will do more things. We'll do the craziest things because of love. That we would never do what, what we intellectually or theologically agree with. Right? We might agree with certain things, but like when you fall in love, you'll, if you've ever been in love and you're married, like I move my life here to follow my, to follow my wife. I mean, you give up everything. Like career, oh, I don't need it. 
You know, it's like, you know, it's like money, it's not that important. You just want to get married. And you just want, you know, the one that you love, you want to pursue her. That's what God is going to do with us. And when we receive that type of affection, it's called fiery love, man, we will say yes to anything, including laying our lives down to the point of death. All right, let's look at letter B here. So the word in, in, in Revelation 1, the word revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ, it's the word apocalypse in the Greek. And that's where people get this idea of the apocalypse when you talk about the book of Revelation. But what it means, though, it means uncovering, unveiling, disclosure, or literally to draw back the curtain. And so what it means is that here's what God's about. He's about to unveil the glory of Jesus to the earth. He's about to draw back the curtain of his might, of his wisdom, of his love, of who Jesus is, especially to the body of Christ. But beloved, it's not just the body of Christ. Every eye will see this man, Revelation 1. It's like Isaiah 4 says that his glory and his beauty will be revealed to all the earth. It's Isaiah 4. And so in, those last in that last generation, his, the Father's pleasure is this. I want to exalt and validate the work of my Son over all the nations. And he will do it through the gospel going forward, Matthew 24, 14. It will go into every nation. But also in Philippians 2, it says, because of his humility and his obedience to the point of death, it says his name will be above every other name. Right? And that at his name, every knee will bow. And beloved, the Father is not going to do that in secret. Okay? The Son did it openly with his humility, taking our sin on the cross. And he says, because of your humility and your obedience there, I will openly and publicly and globally declare the name of Jesus through the nations. That's where we're going. He will unveil the glory of his Son. It's, his, it's the, the passionate thing of his heart. More than anything, this is what he wants to do. And we're living in a generation and a time frame where we will see this with our very own eyes. It's like for so long through generations, they have seen it by faith. But beloved, our faith will turn to sight. We will see it openly. He will do it through the nations. Let her see. He's, the, this book is a gift from the Father. And so it says here in, the, um, in verse 1, it says, which God gave, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his bondservants the things which soon must take place, he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant, John. And so the father sent it to his son, who sent it to the angel, who sent it to John. John wrote it down, but really, John wrote this down for the end time church, for that last generation. I mean, John was in his 90s when he received it. It wasn't for his generation. And the things that are written, the prophecy from verse six to, chapter 6 to 19, it hasn't been fulfilled yet. It's really for our generation. That's why God gave it. So it really is a gift to us. It's a gift to us if we can understand it. Let's look at verse 2. Let's get verse 2 here. I don't think it's in the notes. I, let me turn to it real quick. Verse 2. It says, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. And so here it says, John, he gets this revelation, but get this. It's not in the notes because I just saw it the other day and I was like, 
it says this. It says, he testified to the word of God. Meaning, what John's revealing here in chapters you know, 2 through 22 or 6 through 19, what he's revealing was actually a testimony back to the word of God. Which means this, he was testifying to the prophecies of the Old Testament. That's what he was doing. Because the book of Revelation is founded in the book of Daniel and the Old Testament prophets. He wasn't just making something up. What he was doing was, he, going, he was, I'm testifying about the future events, but they are a testimony, or he's reiterating the truth and the validity of the Old Testament prophets. Look at, look at um, it's one of my favorite verses right now. Look at chapter 10. Look at chapter 10 in your Bibles real quick. It's like you read it and different things highlight, stand out to you at different times. And right now it's like this verse to me. <laughs> Chapter 10 and verse 7, it says this. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, and, and it's the, the scriptural witnesses is at the last trumpet, or the, the last trumpet is when we're raptured. Okay, 1 Corinthians 15. Um, but at the, in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, it says, and the mystery of God is finished as he preached to his servants, the prophets. This is what happens, chapter 11, in verse uh, 15. When the seventh angel sounded and there was a loud voice, there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. It's when he comes back and he takes authority, okay, that seventh trumpet, the last trumpet, the seventh angel. But look what it says uh, in chapter seven, chapter ten, verse seven. It says, as we were reading, it says, when it sounds, then the mystery of God is finished. Okay, the mystery of God's finished. Then it, look what it says, as he preached to his servants the prophets, meaning the full mystery of God and the storyline of the end times and the culmination of what he wants to do is right there in the prophets. And the reason that we don't understand it is because we don't understand the Old Testament. Because much of American modern Christianity, I'll, I'll hit, you know, hit on some toes here, is this. We preach from the Gospels and the Epistles mostly. And beloved, it's a story from Genesis to Revelation. And we look at, the, and, we, and we're usually, we're stuck in the middle of the story. And most churches don't talk, they talk a little bit about uh, Genesis, they don't preach a lot out of the Old Testament, nor the prophets, almost nothing in, in, about the end times or the book of Revelation. And so we are, we're actually, um, what's the right word? Uh, not ripped off, but we, we don't understand the full revelation of the scriptures because we only stay in the gospels and the epistles. When he says clearly here, he goes, man, all of this was preached to the prophets, the, the mi major and minor prophets. And he goes, all that God wants to do in our generation, he spoke hundreds of years ago to the prophets. It's like if we could understand that biblical storyline of the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, not Old Covenant, Old Testament, we would understand what's happening in our day. But we're very illiterate. The American church is illiterate of the Old Testament. It's, we're illiterate of the Old Testament. We're barely functional with the Bible. We're illiterate of the Old Testament. And that's a shame to us. And I'm talking about all of us. Okay? And so I don't, mean, I don't say that to, to condemn anyone. I want to stir your heart saying we have to know the Bible. It's 
that we have to encounter Jesus through the Bible. Right? It's the primary way that he's given to us is knowing him. More than, you know, it's good to listen to messages and podcasts and all that. We have to have this fresh personal revelation from the Bible. God will speak to us. He wants to show himself to us. Because look at this. I'm going to skip around just a little bit. Um, if you look here in letter, um, letter H, page 3. It's because there's one redemptive storyline of the Bible. It starts in Genesis and it finishes in Revelation, but it's one story. And what the interesting thing is this, the, Jesus as a Jew and the apostles as Jews, right, they understood the Old Testament storyline. It was a Jewish storyline. They understood it, and in the New Testament, it's never uh, debunked or undercut. It's actually added upon. I mean, it's not changed at all. And so here, letter H, there's 404 verses in the book of Revelation. Look at this. Look at number two. Out of 404 verses, there's 278 allusions from about 500 references in the 24 Old Testament books. Isn't that amazing? It means most of the book of Revelation, it's not actually new at all. It's just going back to the Old Testament references and putting it back together and piecing it together. It's actually amazing. And what's interesting is there's actually no direct quotation from the Old Testament. And so as, as John is seeing this, remember he's caught up and he's seeing different parts, uh, in chapter, starting chapter 4, he's seeing all this. It's actually all that God showed. It's like a, like a movie screen that's going through the Old Testament. John's seeing it and he's just writing it down. It's like he already understood a lot of it. He didn't see the fullness of it, but it was given for our generation. Now I, I want to encourage us. Get into the Old Testament. We have to know the Bible. Like our day right now, it's more than just cute devotionals. Like that was good. Cute devotionals won't sustain an inner life for the last days. Okay, as good as they are, we need to go deep in the Word of God. We need fire shut up in our bones like Jeremiah. Okay, and so it takes time. All right, let's look at verse 3 here. So verse 3, it says, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. And so there's three aspects in verse 3. It says, You're, we're blessed, and this is a special blessing. It says, because no other book in the Bible has a blessing nor warning which we'll look at in it. And I want to really focus in on this, on this part right here is that there's this threefold blessing. It says when we read it, when we hear it, and when we keep it or when we heed it. I think it's New King NSB. Oh, good job. <laughs> it, was, it was New King James when we started. So New King James actually says heed it or keep it. NSB says to heed it. And so there's this blessing here for us. Now let's look at page two. I want to... Look at that and look at letter, uh, letter E as well. Because there's a warning with the book of Revelation as well. So look, if you look here in chapter 22, verse 18 and 19, it says, I testify to everyone who hears the words of this prophecy. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book, which none of us want. Okay, verse 19, if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy... 
God will take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city, which are written in this book. I mean, that is a severe warning in chapter 22 at the end of this book. Okay? So the book or the prophecy of Revelation, because twice it says it's the prophecy. It's the prophecy. It's, book, it's bookended with a blessing in chapter 1, saying if you read, if you hear, and you keep it, there's a blessing. But it's also bookended with this warning at the end saying if you take anything out or if you change anything, you'll either lose your salvation, take your name out, or and or all the plagues will be given to you. And so there's a severe blessing and a warning attached to this book. Now, I believe he did that because it's like no other book. I mean, you don't read that in any other book of the Bible. It's no other book. And what it should do is it should highlight the book of Revelation to us. Saying there is something unique about this book that God would personally say, I will bless you if you read, if you listen, if you hear it, and you do it. And if you mess with this book, I mean, if you change anything, is I will severely punish you for it. And so that fact alone, it should alert us saying, there is something unique about this book that I need to get into. Okay. Now, this, this, these three aspects, to read, to hear, and to keep. In the Greek, it's in, the, it's, it's in a continuous tense. What's really interesting, meaning this, we don't just read it once. God doesn't just want us to read it, to hear it, and to do it once. It means he actually wants it to be a lifestyle or us to be continually in it. He says that's where the blessing comes. It's more than just a one time I heard it and I, have, I checked that off. No, he's like, I want you to be aware of it. I want this to be living inside of you. That you read it, you, you hear it, and you keep it. And so, here's the great thing. You guys with me still? Okay. Here's the great thing. It's this. And this is what I was struck with this week. I just, you know, I just read it read the book of Revelation here and there. Um, actually, in quite a bit right now, but you, know, you just read it and different things come out. But here's what struck me with it. God would not, he would not tell us, he would not give a blessing for this book nor a warning for it unless he knew that when we read the book of Revelation, we could understand it. Right? He would not mock us to failure. Because so many say, I can't understand this book. There's different ways of interpreting it. There's too much symbolism. There's too much allegory. The, you know, the, the smart guys, the ones in seminary, they fight over what's his right. Is it allegorical? Is it preterist? You know, what is it? And I'll tell you, if you just read it in its historical, grammatical context, okay, meaning just read it at face value literally, and it'll tell you the symbolism. Most of it's in the book. It'll tell you the answers to what it is. So if you just read it, because remember, the guys that were reading this, they were illiterate, most of them. I mean, they were uneducated. The apostles, most of them were uneducated. Most of church history has been peasants and the poor class through history. And that's what the scriptures are written to. Meaning this, through the Holy Spirit, we have the ability to understand this book. And he would not put a blessing and a, a warning to it if we couldn't understand it. He would actually mock us to failure saying, okay, I want you to read it, but you're not going to get it, and I'm going to uh, curse you because of that. Our God is not like that. 
Instead, he's saying, no, you all have the ability to understand this book and to understand the person of Jesus. And he goes, and there is a blessing awaiting you for it if you'll do that, if you'll engage with it. So, I, this it just struck me. It says, the meaning, it means this. If, um, let me just read this. God gave a blessing and a warning to bookend this prophecy, to hold the reader accountable to what was in this prophecy. If he did this, he must assume that the reader would, eat, would readily understand the prophecy. Meaning this, the book of Revelation, it's understandable. And that's part of the, that's part of the a hurdle we have to get over. It's understandable. We can engage with God in it. And so, and God would not keep us accountable for something that we could not understand. We wouldn't do that. And so, it's understandable. Number two, I believe the severity of the warning is that as we read it, it's so like out of this world, some of it, you know? Like, it seems so, um, what's the word? Uh, I always lose this word. It seems so, um, honey, what's that word? <laughs> it's my other half. It's supposed to, like, better half. It's supposed to know these. <laughs> it seems so, um, yeah, yeah, surreal, fantastic, yeah, you know, it just seems um, unbelievable, right? There's a word for it, I can't, but all of those words, yes, <laughs> right? Because why, like, you look at the seals, and it's like a quarter of the earth is going to die, and you look at the, you look at the, uh, you know, trumpets, a third of the earth, and all, you know, all the blood, all of that, it's like, you know, it just seems fantastic, right? And so here's the temptation with it. Because it seems like we can't get our head around it, it's that say we can't really understand it, it seems like, our temptation is to change it so that we can actually, we can, you can actually grasp it, that it can, we can bring, it, bring the book of Revelation down to our level. Right? This is actually the same temptation we have about the person of Christ. Okay? It's actually, that's why Paul wrote in Romans 1, he, that's what he said. He says, you are worshiping the creator. You're, you're not worshiping the cre creator. You're bringing him down, and you're worshiping the creature. It's the same temptation because he's so awesome who Jesus is. You got, we can't understand him. We don't understand his ways. So what do we do? We make a Jesus in our own image that's palatable. Right? It's the same temptation in Romans 1. Here in Revelation 1 and Revelation 22, he says, that same temptation is there. He says, I understand that. And so he says, because of that temptation, I will put the severe warning in it so you don't do that. Right? And so there's a warning, the blessing, and a warning associated with this book. All right, let's go a little further. You guys, you guys doing okay? Ever heard a message on the book of Revelation, like just overview? Good. All right, letter I, page three. So this book, it's a prophecy. He says in a number of times, it's a prophecy. Meaning, verse 3, it says the words of this prophecy, and it's really Revelation 119, therefore write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after these things. And so the prophecy, chapter 6 through 19 especially, they are given for our generation. I mean, they have yet to be fulfilled, and they will happen. The question is, are we going to play a part in it or will it happen without us? Right? That's why there's this invitation to it. Okay? There is, if you look at chapter 7, chapter 14, there's a great multitude. When we talk about the harvest of souls, over a billion souls, the revival through the Middle East nations, it's there in chapter 7, chapter 14. I mean, we, there's an invitation in our generation to see the fullness of the plan of God 
administered, and we get to be part of that. Whatever he calls us to, we get to be part of that. It's like we don't want to miss out. Letter J, John wrote what he saw. And so it says, he says, John, he testified to the word of God, even to all that he saw. And I want to say this to us, especially in this kind of charismatic, prophetic movements in in our generation right now. It's like people say a lot of things without seeing a lot of things. Right? They say a lot, they write a lot, they proclaim a lot, but, but here's, the, here's what the Bible says. It says we need to see first. He's not interested in raising up echoes in this generation, saying, oh, my pastor said this, which isn't bad. I read this, and we take it for our own. No, we need to see. We have the ability and the capacity, the hearts of our understanding, Ephesians 1.17, it can be opened by a spirit of wisdom and revelation. And we need to see Jesus, we need to see what he's saying, we need to see what he wants to do, and what we see, we have authority that we can declare. So many want a platform, and they just want to speak without actually seeing much. And this is what Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 23 about the last days. He goes, they haven't seen anything, but they're running. Say, I wish they would stop running and stop prophesying. Right? Instead, it says, I, watch, I wish they would stand in the counsel of my, of my will, of my wisdom. It says it twice in 20, Jeremiah 23. It's like we need to see, and it takes time and devotion and consecration to Jesus. And that's why he's raising up leaders who, who, whose hearts are stirred that will give that to him. There's no shortcuts with him. And he will take us through the wilderness. He will speak to us. And he will build inside of us. There's no shortcuts. But here's the thing. Uh, Psalm 25 says this. It says, the secret of the Lord is given to those who fear him. Amen. When you take the time and when you go deep with him, there are secrets in the word of God and in his heart. It's called revelation that you can't buy from other places. And it fuels your heart. It's what releases an anointing authority on your life that when you talk about something, you know what you're talking about. You're not echoing someone else's vision or you're parroting something else. There's a place for that. It's an immaturity. But when you start becoming mature, Ephesians 4, where the body of Christ becomes mature, you start talking and you start declaring out of the scriptures of what you see. It's actually called maturity. and That's where he wants to bring the body of Christ. We're not just, just repeating the latest thing. It's like, no, we have conviction on the word of God because we've seen it and we know who Jesus is. Letter K, the book of Revelation, it's, an, it's the end time book of Acts. And so the primary theme of the book of Acts, when you think of the book of Acts, right, the primary theme was the Acts of the Apostles. The secondary theme was the persecution. Now, the church grew in that persecution, but it, it was secondary. The same goes, the same, it, it's the same for the book of Revelation. The primary theme of the book of Revelation is the plan of God and really the acts of the church or the end time apostles. The secondary theme is the persecution against the church. But it's so fantastic that we say, oh, we're scared by the persecution. I will tell you, no, the primary theme, it's the end time book of Acts. All right, let's go a little, let's keep going. Right. Okay, let's uh, look at bottom of page four here. So let's look at some key themes in the book of Revelation. And so one of the key themes in the book of Revelation is actually in chapter five. 
and it's this. It's where, it's where um, the father has the title deed of the earth, the scroll. And he says, who can open this? Who can take it and open the scroll? Remember, the angel goes up, and they're all weeping because no one can take it. And he says, yet there's this, uh, there's this one who's from the lion, from the tribe of Judah, the root of David. He has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals or to take the scroll. And this act in chapter 5 is so important because it's Jesus taking responsibility for the fullness of God's plan that's, that's revealed in that scroll. And so when they, because here's the thing, they were weeping. Why? Because no one could open the scroll. Meaning, the opening of the scroll is a good thing. Okay? Just logic. It's a good thing to open the scroll. Well, when he opens the scroll, you have the first series of judgments in the, in the, um, the seal judgments. And then the trumpet judgments. And then the bowl judgments. And so judgment comes from opening the seal or the title deed of the earth. But judgment is necessary because it's not judgment against the church. It's actually judgment against evil and injustice that's, that's been on the earth. And what the Bible says over and over again, it says he judges those who actually uh, delude the earth or bring injustice to the earth. And what he does is he, to bring in everlasting righteousness, he has to cleanse the earth. And this is part of the temporal judgments. We want justice. And we cry out for justice. Even against abortion, human trafficking, we want justice. It's part of the gospel. And he will bring, when we have spiritual justice in salvation, it's called justification. But he will bring open salvation with the temporal judgments on the earth to cleanse and to mete out in ju uh, judgment upon injustice and to bring in everlasting righteousness called the kingdom of God. And so what he has done spiritually for us, he is doing it openly on the earth and will bring us into the millennial reign. And so when he takes this book or the scroll in chapter 5, what he's saying is, he says, I'm taking responsibility for the plan of God. I will mete out that judgment. I will prepare the church. I will bring in the kingdom. Okay? That's what he's saying here. That's why it's so important here. And says so no one was worthy to open this book except for one. Right? And that's why we worship that one. And so the same thing, it's just here on page five. These four aspects, he wants, Jesus will consummate the plan of redemption. It's his father's plan. He will judge evil righteously. So here, to destroy those who destroy the earth. That phrase, it's also used in Daniel 9. He, he, that phrase is used in Thessalonians as well, that idea. Um, verse number three, he's ready to, he will prepare the bride of Christ. And this stirs my heart because it's like, at the, remember, it's the spirit and the bride that say come in 22. And so, he will change because we look right now and we have, a, we have a crisis in the church, really. We're losing our young people and we're losing male uh, men in the church. 90% of men don't attend church in our society. 90% are out. In the, and when you look at a lot of ministry in church, churches, it's actually filled with women. It's, it's lopsided with women. But, um, and so like my friend Brian Yost, he does this thing called City Commit where he's trying to gather men around uh, round tables to bring them as a step into church, right? 
And so, uh, because a lot of them want to be good fathers, and they want to do right things, but they're not in the church. And so roughly 90%. And so there's an epidemic right now. There is a crisis right now that we're losing male authority, male leadership in the church, in the home, all of that, in our society, as well as we're losing our young people right now. Okay? And so the church is, it's like we're losing our saltiness. We're losing our witness, right? And even our voice into our culture. And, and in the midst of this, where we are right now, here's God's promise. He says, I'm going to bring a ravished, cherished bride that will say yes to Jesus with all our heart. And he will bring a revival into the church where we will love him as we are loved. I mean, that phrase, to love him as we are loved, means, means we, will, there, we, won't, we won't say, we'll say no to nothing. That's a bad English. But we, I mean, there's nothing we won't give up for the sake of love. That's what he's saying, not just to an individual or our family, but to the corporate body of Christ through the nations. And he will do it because he will pour out his spirit, Acts 2, Joel 2. He's going to pour out his spirit in the last days. Our sons and daughters will prophesy. Beloved, there is a prophetic generation rising up. We have to see it by the spirit. In the natural, they're, they're going. But in the spirit, there's a prophetic generation rising up. And he is so committed to preparing this bride. And here's the greatest thing. He'll turn it in a single generation. He will turn it in a single generation. Honestly, when you look, it seems impossible. Right? And even those, our church numbers are declining. Right? And even those who go to church, they're just jumping from one church to another. There's not much uh, new, new believers coming into the church right now. All the statistics, the Barnard statistics and all of that, the Barnard research. It's very little. It's almost all just people, you know, I don't like this church, I'm going to go to another church. Right? That's what's happening. And, and the older generation is dying off, and we're losing a generation underneath us right now. Right? And so when you look in the natural, it seems impossible. But here's the thing. God says, I will pour out my spirit. He says, Malachi 4, 5 and 6, I'll turn the hearts of the fathers to the sons. He knew this problem was going to exist. And he says, I have an answer. I will send you Elijah the prophet. And I will pour my spirit out in a single generation. He says, I will turn this weak, lukewarm church. That's what we are. It's like, we're, you know, right now, right? And it's like, and he will turn it to the most powerful force on the earth. Out of love, we will see the Holy Spirit moving, signs and wonders, the nations coming in, a great harvest of souls. We'll see Israel come in. We'll see injustice stopped in different areas. I mean, in a single generation, it will, the narrative will switch. It will flip. That's so exciting. All right, let's look, let's look at verse 5 and 6, and we'll end here. Let's just... And so in, in verses 5 and 6... So John is addressing the seven churches. So that's chapters 2 and 3. He's addressing the seven churches in Asia. But here it says, Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And verse 5 says, And from Jesus Christ. And he gives us three descriptions of who Jesus is. It says he's the faithful witness. He's the firstborn of the dead. And he's the ruler of the kings of the earth. And I believe these three descriptions specifically are descriptions that we need to be very familiar with. They're, they're strategically given by God to the end time church because of what it will produce. 
He knows the pressures that are coming. He knows that. And so he says, if you will feed on these three descriptions, there's others, but if you'll feed on these three descriptions of the person of Christ, he says, I will help you and I will feed you. The first is this, the faithful witness. And actually, we were singing about that tonight, the goodness and the faithfulness, the faithfulness of God. And so there's so much about the faithful witness. Um, but here's what it produces. It produces two responses in the end time. When you look at the faithfulness of God, okay, it's one, it's intimately knowing and encountering the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. It produces faithfulness in us. When we see how faithful he's been to us and how he's carried us through the different times and trials, it will produce a faithfulness in us. And two, having a foundation of God's faithfulness in our lives, here's what it does. It produces hope inside of us. It produces hope inside of us that will carry us into the future. So we might not know what it looks like or it might look dark. right? But if we know that if we, we can trust God, trust Jesus, and he's faithful to us, and I obey what he says, there is a living hope that's produced inside of us. That hope is so powerful. And so if we understand him as the faithful witness, and there's so much on this little two words, this phrase, the faithful witness, right? He's faithful. He's the faithful witness of God's plan. He's the faithful witness of the Father. He's seen him. He's the only begotten from all of eternity. Jesus is the only one that has ever seen the Father in his full identity, and his full nature. Think of that. And then what he does to us, he goes, let me tell you who my Father is. He's the only one that has the authority to do it, John 1, in the bosom of the Father. He goes, let me show you my Father. Let me show you who God is. That revelation produces love. It's John 17. It's what produces love inside of us. And it produces hope inside of us. That we say, I don't know what the future looks like. It looks hard. It looks difficult. It looks dark. But there's a living, but I trust his leadership, and there's hope that's inside of me. It births hope. He's a faithful witness. Number two. He's the firstborn from the dead. Okay? Meaning, or another way of putting it, is he's the first of the resurrection. Yes. And it says, 1 Corinthians 15, as he is raised from the dead, we will be raised in that same manner as he has a glorified body and seated in the right hand of God, we too will be seated with a glorified body just like his. It's the promise of our salvation, the glorification of our bodies. But here's what it produces, because there is this pressure of martyrdom that will come. And as we face, and as we look that in its face, as the pressures of, 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 that, of, that, uh, of that pressure, if we know that Jesus is the firstborn of the resurrection, and that just as he rose from the dead, beloved, we will rise in that same way. It says it will produce a joy inside of us. Right? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And it's this joy of saying, I will be with him and be like him for, all, for the rest of eternity. And so as the faithful witness, it produces hope inside of us. As the firstborn from the dead, it, all of this produces confidence. But there is a joy that's produced saying, I, it doesn't matter if I give up my life now or if I die naturally in a few years. It says, this is not the end. It says, there is an eternal focus, and I know that my Jesus raised from the dead. And as he's raised from the dead, I will raise just like him. And I want to follow that path to Calvary, that I might rise in that same way of resurrection that he did. And so he's the firstborn from the, from the dead. It's to produce hope and joy during the difficult times ahead. 
And then number three, he's the ruler of the kings of the earth. Right? And because at, in the last days, it's all about government. It's all about, it'll be about society and government. And here's the thing. Jesus has authority over every nation. He has authority over every king. It says in Matthew 28, all authority and power has been given to me. And he reminds us, he says, no, it might be hard, it might be difficult. He says, look up. He says, remember who I am. I'm the ruler of the kings of the earth. I mean, no one has authority unless it's been granted by me. It's Romans 13, right? He holds the heart of the, the kings in his hand. It's like, they have, it says, look, remember who I am. It's like, you follow my leadership. I will bring you into the right places. He says, trust in who I am. And it will produce life. It will produce a faith inside of us saying, Jesus, you're the, you're the ruler of the kings of the earth. There is no greater authority than the name of Jesus. Doesn't matter what it looks like. Doesn't matter who's in charge on the earth. I mean, like, we're not looking at President Trump as the savior, right? I mean, God can, is using him for certain things, but it's like, no, above that, above Hitler, above any tyrant, there is a God that's in charge. His name is Jesus. He says he's the ruler of the kings of the earth. And this will be important because there will be a, a ruler that will rise up. His name is the Antichrist. And he will have a, co a coalition of authority and wealth and power and military over the entire earth. And he will subdue most of the nations. And when it looks dark and bleak and you see this figure in the, in the nations, our hope has to go beyond what we see. And it's, that's why Romans, Luke 21 says, look up for your redemption draws. And I says, look up. There's someone greater than what you see by your natural eye. There is one, he's called the ruler of the kings of the earth. And it will steady our hearts in that day. We'll say, Jesus, I want to follow you wherever you go. Whatever you say, I'm in. Whatever it will cost me, Lord, I'm there. It says, no matter what the sacrifice is, Lord, I want to follow the lamb. And so these three aspects, uh, Kelly, you can come up if, if you're, these three aspects. It's the faithful witness. He's the firstborn from the dead, and he's the ruler of the kings of the earth. All right, let's stand together. I want to stir your hearts for the person of Christ, especially the Jesus of Revelation 1. I pray this all the time in our prayer room. Here's what I pray. I say, Father, show me the Jesus of Revelation 1. Yeah, there's, another, there's another description of him as well here. There's many descriptions. There's like 27 descriptions. But in chapter, I think, verses like 12 to 16, it's also called the Son of Man. It's a very important description as well. Uh, but we can't get into all of that. Uh, but I want to encourage you. Let's through your day, right, and say this, say, Jesus, Father, show me the Jesus of Revelation 1. Just open my eyes, show me aspects, or impart something into my heart. Say, show me the Jesus of Revelation 1.
Holy Spirit, I ask that you would stir in our hearts right now. It's Romans 8. You bear witness, Holy Spirit, to our sonship, to our identity. You bear witness to the truth. And right now, I ask you that you would bear witness in our spirits, God. That you would put a hunger for the person of Christ Jesus specifically revealed in Revelation 1. Holy Spirit, impart something into us right now. Give us a holy fascination, God, a holy desire and a hunger. Say, open the book of Revelation to us. More than we've understood, say, break the spirit of fear that's associated with this book. Right now, in the name of Jesus, break the intimidation and the fear, the academic intimidation and the emotional fear associated with this book. I say, Lord, break it right now in this room. And give us faith, God, and a, and a holy hunger that we would be blessed, Lord. And that you would prepare a bride that would overcome and be victorious. So I want to pray for those and the, and the leadership team here, for those you might not have known much about the book of Revelation or you might have come in uh, knowing a little bit, but you're like, I want to give myself to this book. We want to pray for you. I don't know what that means for you, whatever the Lord's telling you. Right? You read it once a week, once a month, you read a chapter, it doesn't, it doesn't matter to me. Right? Just listen to what the Lord says. But you know, in your heart, you're still saying, I want to, to go forward. I want, I want, like, because we need revelation in this book. It, it takes revelation. And so, but something's stirring in your heart, saying, man, it's piqued my interest. Like it's it's grabbed a hold of me. And if that's you, it doesn't matter if you know nothing or if you're a scholar. I want to invite you up. We want to pray for you. Thank you for listening to Victory Church of His Presence Sermon of the Week. For more information, go to our website at victoryfla.com.